Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 241 of Dogcast Radio, which today is all about happiness. I'd be happy if you'd visit dogcastradio.com to find all our other podcasts and more. It's National Happy Dog Day on the 9th of September, which at the time of recording is only a few days away. The day was founded by Tess Eagle Swan, who belongs to well-known canine phenomenon Cray 2. Our dogs make us so happy. Surely it's our responsibility to make them happy. What do you think contributes to a dog's happiness most? Right now, I'm going to talk to behaviourist Andy Hale, who approaches training, and indeed life with dogs, from the viewpoint of the dog's emotional experience – which can turn the way we think about our dogs on its head in a very useful way. I love this dog-centric approach, and it certainly puts a dog's happiness front and centre. Tell me a bit about you and the work you do in your approach. Well, um, I'm a certified animal behaviourist here in the the UK, Mm -hmm. uh, working primarily with dogs. Um, Before that, uh, I've got a human psychology background. Mm-hmm. So I worked, uh, I was involved in various um, different areas of therapy for humans. Yeah. So uh, linking those two things together, my passion has always been thinking about, uh, in a philosophical way, I guess, uh, the emotional experience, yeah. um, whether that's for ourselves or now for our dogs or our horses or our cat, it doesn't really matter. And obviously, you know, as we chat today, we can unpack that a little bit about what the emotional experience is and that kind of thing. So that's kind of my passion really on those kind of things. I'm the behavioral consultant for Pet Remedy, which is a great product, which is very much connected with uh, dogs and their uh, animals and their emotional experience, of course. And I'm also the behavioral consultant for the British Isles Grooming Association, which is really exciting. It's a new kind of post, but um, I think it's great that our colleagues in the grooming world are looking to learn more and uh, think more about the care aspect of what we do, because of course, grooming is or has been primarily a task orientated kind of profession. But uh, yeah, yeah so, I, so that's kind of a little bit about me. Lovely, lovely. And I think that's great because you must, so you can sort of, you know, that training the dog and then sorting the dog's behavior problems out or whatever it is but you also know how to motivate the human there so that must come really in handy it does because the thing is i um uh, i my, my approach is a little bit different to the norm i guess it's not a unique thing it's not the handy way there's plenty of people who do it but uh, but it's not um it's very much focused more on uh, as I say, the emotional experience and, and thinking about the the role of the uh, brain and the nervous system regarding what we do with our behaviour, because with dogs especially, well, animals generally, I think, um, we have more traditionally seen behaviour as something that we arbitrarily seek to change or control mm. without necessarily thinking about the innate use of that uh, behaviour for the animal, uh, you know, what's called internal value. For the animal and it's the same for us so working with a client then I'm very aware of their own emotional experience and for us humans especially a really important part is understanding the psychology of belief systems and value systems because um, if we think about a behavior being classed as a problem the fact that somebody's viewed it as a problem starts with how that individual perceives that behavior in the first place mm. because to the animal their behavior isn't problematic or good or bad or anything. It's just, it just is right. Yeah. yeah. So um, understanding belief belief systems are very important. So uh, the brain 
the human brain, uh, well, the dog brain as well, actually, but talking about humans at the moment, uh, doesn't like to cognitively reappraise very much. So it likes to create a worldview. You know, what do I think about m &L? What do I think about bag of crisps or my favourite crisps? Or what do I think about going out at night? Whatever it is. So we just go through those experiences and the brain creates a worldview and that creates a belief system. Because the brain doesn't want to have to keep rethinking things all the time, uh, it starts to create some defences for that belief system. And those are cognitive biases, uh, cognitive distortions, that kind of thing. Uh, and then from that worldview comes our judgments and our expectations. Yes. So this is really important because um, if the human decides the behavior is bad, they are likely then to follow a series of um, a course of action designed at just challenging that behavior. But there's a good chance that the fact that they've decided the animal's behavior is bad is more reflection on their narrative than actually what the animal is experiencing. And we see the same with kids, of course. You know, if I was to be like, oh, Julie, just get your kids to behave with you. Uh, that's more of a reflection on my perception of their behavior rather than necessarily what they're doing. Yes. And it's just understanding the two sides. So, so this is very important, especially for a caregiver. So that's the term I like to give to owners, uh, caregiver. The caregiver of a dog who might have some challenging presentations through their behavior. It's really trying to find a way of, I call it alignment, finding some alignment between the care needs for the carer because they have an emotional experience as well of course right yes. uh, and the emotional experience of the dog because the dog is going through something themselves as well we can judge and define their behavior all we like we can decide it's bad naughty inappropriate whatever but that may well not have and probably doesn't have a reflection on the experience for the animal which is invariably probably just stressed yes yeah, I mean, which, which is a horrific thing to realise as an owner that as a, as a caregiver that your animal may well be stressed and you think, well, hang on, I don't want to stress this animal. I mean, I can remember, and I've told this story before, that when Buddy got into the car, he was maybe about two, so a long time ago, and he got onto the passenger seat and I was sort of saying to him, get in the footwell and pointing down and he was turning away. And I, I thought in my innocence then, I thought he's pretending he can't see me, he can't hear me. So he thinks he'll get away with it if he can't if see me or hear me. And actually then a, a behaviourist said to me, no, he, he's you're stressing him. And he's turned away to say, you know, stop stressing me. And I was so horrified that I'd stressed this dog that I adore that then I wanted to learn more and more about how, what he was communicating to me. That was really interesting to when you were saying about sort of belief systems and, and the, the, the prejudices and beliefs we already have in place, because I've just been... Um, rereading something I wrote about Buddy a long time ago when we went to learn he worked to music and he was too motivated but too excited by the treats by the food treats so I put those down and the trainer said to me why don't you try a tennis ball as a reward so I got the tennis ball and was, was sort of showed it to him and he spun he twisted and spun I was horrified and I was like oh my goodness this is too much this is bad and she was like that was interesting. Shame again, see what he does. And it's that, as you say, that kind of, I was set in my ways of, I need him to do a certain thing. I don't want him to have an input, you know, too much. Whereas she was like, that was interesting. Let's see what he he shows us, you know, and that was that was quite an eye-opener. I was like, yeah, I need to sort of let the dog have an input. We're here talking partly because it's National Happy Dog Day. It's coming up soon. So we're talking, thinking about happiness. Um and that's a that's a really important thing to to think about. And obviously, your your um, your approach takes into account the dog's happiness. 
when we think about happiness, then what do you think the key thing is that we need to think about about making our dog happy or letting them be happy? I like the letting them be happy. I like that um, because you know making happiness. Um, the, the thing about happiness is uh, it's such a subjective term, mm, right? Yeah. And um, there's all sorts of arguments that go on around animals and about how they beings they might have or not have. And what I class as the emotional experience, just to frame that first, I think would be quite useful. Um, so you and I share a lot neurologically physiologically that science can tell us a lot about that about how the you know neural function nervous system function all the all, all the interconnected areas um interestingly we share a lot of that neurology and physiology with our dogs mm-hmm. right? so they have the same things going on but how we personally feel about stuff how we the value we add to things the way we process the sensations that all that gives us will be unique to us so the beautiful thing about starting to think about animals from an emotional experience point of view is two things one we all have an emotional experience you have one i have one the dog will have one because we know that um i'll I'll unpack that a little bit in a second actually Mm -hmm. Um, but the second part of that emotional experience is that they're all different so just because I don't know and wouldn't dream to presume I know your emotional experience, it doesn't stop me being available to hear your truth, to try and be empathetic and compassionate and think about what it is that maybe that Julie needs rather than what do I think Julie needs. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so the same with our dog. I don't. Um, and so uh, and everything, there's three main parts of um, of the emotional experience really for me. One is sensory input. So the brain needs to decide things so even to be happy right the brain has to take on information to work out what's going on because the brain is a bit of a predicting machine it's obsessed with two things same for doggies one is connection seeking connection because we're a social species Mm. Uh, and secondly safety feeling safe really yeah yeah so that's through our senses and it's a process called sensory integration so the brain takes in all this information and does that second bit then is processing the brain needs to process stuff um and uh i use my doors of the brain analogy so if you imagine the brain same applies to the doggies uh has lots of little doors in it we need as many doors to stay open for the brain to be able to safely and calmly and rationally process things Hmm. uh pain and stress are big door closers so we know that ourselves you know when you're stressed and remember, excitement is stress. Anything that elevates that nervous system, it can still be. You know, if I just said to you, Julie, surprise, I'm not actually here to talk about Happy Dog Day. It's because I've got a check here for a million pounds from the lottery. Right? <laughs> yes. You're not suddenly those doors are going to start closing because you're not going to focus on much now because it's a million pounds. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. you don't have to be anxiousness. Just, in fact, just before we go on, you haven't really got a million pounds, have you? Because if you have, Certainly I'm not going to be no. able to. No, I wouldn't be able to focus. You I see. did okay. find a scratch card <laughs> in my drawer here. With Excellent. Three pounds on it that hasn't been claimed yet. So I'll send it to Person. that's enough for me <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah so uh, th- when those doors start closing we can't process mm. and yeah. then the third bit of that is the nervous system and i use the good old bucket analogy for that because it's a good one if you imagine the nervous system the stress system as a empty bucket and the water in the bucket is how much that nervous system engages how much the stress we're carrying the fuller the bucket the less doors we have open the less chance of a rational self-regulated behavior the more chance of a uh kind of dysregulated and interest and important word here reflexive behavior Hmm. so we can all say and do things in the moment that we might regret later 
because our bucket gets a bit full. It's reflexive. So, great. so I just want to throw that because that's the emotional experience. Right? So what we know about yeah. dogs is that they have the same neurological and physiological functions for those elevations and decompressions. So it's very important. So when we see a dog then, for example, Rover, who's barking and lunging at another dog, traditionally, and it's kind of the norm still, sadly, we see the behavior is the problem. We can't have the dog lunging a buck. So um, the, if we just have a training only solution, we only have two options. We either treat the dog punitively, so correct them, tell them off, punish them. And all we're doing there is telling the dog, shut up, stop it. Uh, and we might get the dog to stop it, actually, but we haven't changed their emotional experience. We've just done it. But even using positive reinforcement, there is a risk that we end up getting the dog to do something else instead that we find more appropriate. But we still haven't dealt with the issue for how the dog is experiencing that emotionally. You know? yeah. uh, so this is important for us. So when we think about happiness and the happy dog, um, so it's quite subjective to think about that. But most importantly, when we think about dogs more generally from a welfare point of view, I think, and their general emotional health, uh, we have to be available to learn more about their emotional need because I see it quite a bit. Uh, so for example, let me give an example. Um, dog who doesn't like dogs very much or doesn't seem to like dogs very much, um, who is, uh, I prefer the word sensitive, but people would normally use words like reactive or aggressive. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. like those terms very much because they don't tell us much, but the dog's sensitive. So when they see another dog, that nervous system's likely to spark up and they're going to, give that kind of response um uh, but the owner might say the carer might say oh but but, but rover loves people so i go and see uh, and they and they're so happy when we have guests around he loves it when people come and i go and see rover and yes he's all over me he's jumping up he's licking me he's being silly he's running around i don't see a dog who loves me i see a dog who's stressed potentially but using fun and appeasement behaviors to deal with that stress because when i stop any social engagement they give a good shake off they go and have a drink and then i don't see them again for the rest of the hour mm. so they obviously didn't love me that much you know so, <laughs> yeah. so we have to be this comes back to this judgments things you know well my dog loves that we just have to ask a question do they if we didn't have a huge reinforcer at the end of that activity would they still want to do it Mm. Yeah. Uh, just because the dog seems um, all kind of wiggly bummed and waggy tailed, does that mean they're actually excited or is it just because they're elevating because it's actually a little bit stressful for them? So these are just things to think about. So true happiness with our relationship with our dogs is finding that kind of um, that contentment with each other. Yes. Where, um, you know, I can share my needs for my my dog i can share my truth with my dog and they and give them chance to share theirs with me yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i'm just thinking that because ah little mischief innately you just naturally did this behavior where she sort of sits up and and does both paws at you almost like begging or excuse me and we, we've called it tippy toes but it's sort of <laughs> in a way we we interpret it as please so when she wants something, she's obviously she's learned that when she does that behavior, we go, oh, what do you want, sweetheart? You know, and it's, but she will do that. sort of, And it can be, it's just, I want something. So it could be, I want some food. I want something to drink. I want to go outside. I, you know, whatever. She at the moment is obsessed with going outside. My husband's cut some of the hedge down and she's obsessed with going and checking what's actually going on there. So she's constantly going, let me out, let me out, let me out. We, we go out with her and she doesn't, 
toilet. She just wants to go and, and look. But but it's actually I'm, I'm quite pleased with, with that you're saying that be open to them because we do keep taking right even though it's like oh, she doesn't really want to toilet. Okay, we'll go and check, and she goes and checks. Um, and again, there's that thing of you know she, to me she's she's not like distressed. She just wants to go and have another look, and then she's then she'll come in and lie for a bit, and then she'll suddenly go. Do you know that thing's still outside? Isn't it? Can we go and check? So we go and check, but there's, we've given her ways of communicating with us that I want something, excuse me. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not a pain to us. She, she tells us the other thing that we do with her because she's a little dog. And I, this is one of my um, passions with little dogs is that we, we never just scoop. No, that's not true. That's not fair. In emergencies, we scoop, we pick her up. Most of the time though, we would always say to her, I'm going to pick you up and then scoop. Um, most of the time we say, do you want to be picked up? And then she will either come back and, and sort of back up to you and go, yes, pick me up. Or she will walk away a little bit and sort of say, no, I, I, not on the moment, thanks. Equally, she can come up and go and sort of pour at us and go, I'd like to be picked up, please. And, and we can ask the question. So, but to me, if I was a small dog and just out of the blue, a hand was going to come at any moment and scoop me up and I couldn't do anything about it, I would find that incredibly stressful. So we've tried with her and with Star before her to sort of alleviate some of that stress. And, and that's the kind of thing that we, we try and do is alleviate, alleviate that stress, try and spot that stress before it happens and, and sort of make them happier. But, and, and there are different issues with big dogs, obviously, but it's important, isn't it? To try and, as you say, be, be open to their experience to, and, and as you say, I may think one thing will stress them. It won't or other things that I am quite happy with may stress them, but try and keep an eye on them and see what they're telling you. Yeah, it's really important. I think this is the kind of subjective element of happiness, right? So mm. we can be joyful, we can we can be in a good mood, you know, we can be happy, put it that. Um, if we think about our dogs, one of the most important things to think about regarding happiness or contentment or whatever you want to call it is it has to be authentic for another not that happiness shouldn't be based on my judgment of their happiness does that make sense yes yeah because if we can project that breeze oh yeah my dog's happy my dog's this but oh you know who knows with dogs obviously they can't talk to but um we must make any if we're going to make any um attempts to tre- really try and get it as so that these wonderful animals can have that safe contented um uh kind of home and social environment for them to be able to prosper mm-hmm. we have to base it on their criteria of what that is not necessarily us because uh, and i think um you know the most important things for dogs of course is that exactly what you've just said there julie that, that they feel they can have a voice that they can actually one of the things that's really important is to say actually i don't want to do that i need to get away from that you know yes. Arthur, yeah. one of my dogs he's a very sensitive dog and he will just take himself away and he might just kind of go and hide, let's say hide, he'll go and lie under my desk or whatever else. And I don't think of him then as being unhappy. I think, great, he's had the choice. He's found that safe space and that's where he can relax. Um, Now, I know I've, I've worked with people who are like, oh, no, come on, darling, come on, no, come on from under there. Oh, look, you know, he's hiding away. We can't. And, and that's, again, we've got to be careful. We're not projecting our notion of what that might be for that dog. Yeah. And also, of course, consent. Consent is really important. Yes. Um, we, what you were describing there about picking up little dogs, they're always being picked up, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, they don't know it's coming half the time. Yes. Yeah. 
the hands of God come scooping up from the skies <laughs> yes. and lift them up. Uh, so consent is very important. And uh, some of these um, consent and choice, of course, having the dog having choices, uh, mm. especially the more sensitive the dog is. A lot of the, the more traditional view of looking at dogs, especially the remember the zeitgeist is still the dominance model, sadly. Uh, yes. That's how a lot of people see it. But um, uh, then that is the opposite of what dogs need to be happy really because by its very nature a dominance model means i must be at top of the hierarchy and exert my authority and my will therefore my judgment of your behavior is the only thing that's important because i've decided on that continuum of good to bad what i want and what i don't want uh and so it can be very difficult then and what i what i would say about behavior i wrote an article recently called whose behavior is it anyway mm. think about <laughs> okay. what behavior is right yeah. because i believe behavior our individual behavior is as unique to us as the clothes we wear and how we have our hair styled right mm. because behavior really is an expression of self um, I invite anybody listening now to think about how many times today they've had to think about their behavior, how often they've had to actively control their behavioral output. And the answer is probably not much because we just do. We just do based on how we feel. Um, on the flip side to that is thinking about the times when we did have a lot of pressure on us to behave in a certain way. We can all relate to that now, of course, because of lockdowns. And- yes, Uh, having our ability to socially connect when we need to when we want to taken away from us it's been very difficult for people but we can relate back to childhood of course being at school we can relate to our workplace sadly some people can relate to this from a relationship point of view where you feel you can't express how you feel you need to so this is things and we so when we think about the dog then uh why would a dog be no different you know they do because they feel so the most important word in the psychology of behavior in my opinion so you might be uh is the word relief because when we feel a certain way when that nervous system gets activated when we have a need for something we need relief for that so we actively seek something you know seeking is a very important thing for mammals you know seeking safety seeking food seeking shelter seeking you know social engagement So when we bring this back to happiness, then the the two main things for me to think about is one, bear in mind our own biases regarding what a happy dog looks like. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Because some people think a happy dog's an obedient dog. Um, Yeah. But uh, that's a whole new thing to think about. What does it mean? So that's one thing to think about. And the second thing is to be available to our dog's truth. And we don't need to think about them about being happy or sad or anything. We just need to think about them having the freedom to be able to go through whatever they need to express. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's really important. And, you know, things like we have to live in harmony. So, for example, if your dog loves to dig, that can be a real pain because I've spent, you know, hours on the garden or digging, either if they want to dig the lawn. Well, no, I've, I've nurtured that lawn, whatever it is. But we need to give them an outlet. That's a really small thing. Well, it's small from our point of view. But, to, okay, I'm going to create a sandpit where they can dig and I'm going to hide things in there. But to give them an outlet for that, as you say, that behaviour that they want to express, whatever it is, that is really important. And, and this is another thing that I get really passionate about. We we look at dogs and we go, I like that dog. It's big, it's small, it's whatever it is. It's short-coated, it's long-coated. 
I like that. I, I find that attractive. I'm going to get to, to live with that dog. I'm going to get a dog that looks like that. Then we actually try living with them and we go, oh my goodness, this dog is either too active for me or, you know, not active enough, or as you say, it's not very sociable or, or you know, sensitive. And if we looked more at what the dog wants to do from its, well, it's probably going to want to do from its, um, the way it's been bred, that might lead us to be able to make that dog more happy because it would be a better match for us. Well, really important. And uh, my friend and colleague, Kim Broffy, I do um, uh, a conversational series called Beyond the Operant with Kim Broffy, who's an applied mm. pathologist, and Kathy Murphy, who's a neuroscientist. So little old humble me, Judy. I feel like I've walked into the wrong room sometimes. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but um, Kim is amazing. Kim's a pathologist, so she talks a lot about the importance of genetics and breed. Her book is called Meet Your Dog, and I highly recommend it. It's amazing. Mm. But you're absolutely right. It's a case of... I believe there's no such thing as a problem behavior. The problem comes from the judgments and expectations around that behavior. That's where the problem comes from. Um, and taking digging in the garden, like I say, even now I'd want to come back another level and think, well, why is the dog digging? When does the dog dig? Hmm. What connections does that dog have to digging regarding other things? A lot of dogs that I've met, it's great to put in a sand pit in the garden, right? Because now they're not digging up your plants. Remember, the digging of the plants is only a problem if it's a problem for us, the human, not a problem for the dog. So this yeah. comes back to that expectation judgment thing. But actually, many of the dogs I've worked with who have digging things, when we think about relief, there's two types of relief, absolute and temporary. So say if you've got uh, dental pain, mm-hmm. you might take some, pan- some uh, pain-, pain relief. That will give you temporary relief. But when that wears off, the pain comes back. Going to the dentist, getting it fixed, that's absolute relief. Um, we use temporary relief all the time. In my human kind of uh, therapy days, I could speak to somebody who's been stressed for decades and mm. they've found temporary relief through sometimes inappropriate ways, like you know, drinking too much, playing too much bingo, whatever it is. You know, mm. And it's the same with doggies. So sometimes digging, I see it as actually a dog trying to get relief for something else yeah. and it's amazed sometimes dogs love to dig that's and they love it they're like oh my god i love to dig yeah like, great we'll let you dig but for some of my clients with digging issues when we've actually done good observations and good observations judy comes from slowing stuff down mm. taking good data joining the dots then we think right actually when this dog goes through a stress elevation decompression cycle there has to be some digging involved somewhere so when we start to identify what those stress elevation decompression cycles are, we can actually start getting it so the dog doesn't have to dig so much yeah. because they don't have to find relief for that thing anymore. So it's, it's interesting when you start looking at this stuff. But, yeah, so I think we always have to think about from the problem with a lot of what we do with dogs is that there's an arbitrary element to it. I've decided as a human that behavior is bad, naughty, dominant inappropriate uh i've decided what behavior i'd like to see instead or i'm just going to punish the dog for that behavior whichever side of the fence you want to look at and i get all that because remember my belief system is telling me that that's the point my belief system is telling me that is inappropriate as soon as that expectation or judgment is compromised regarding that belief system we are driven it's part of our psyche as a human we are driven to want to control change or coerce so it fits we want to do it right uh the, there is a different way though and the different way is thinking right when i see a dog for example who might struggle around other dogs hmm. the first thing i'm going to do is not introduce other dogs i need to learn from that dog how do you 
process anyway how do you process me how do you process the environment how do you self-regulate with that nervous system because there are really only two behavioral outputs really there's a self-regulated one and there's a dysregulated one um uh, so when your nervous system isn't too elevated what would you do to try and find some decompression how would you self-soothe and we look at things like movement orientation is really important for mammals very important for us uh it is for our dogs dogs big time if you slow things down and see dogs how they kind of um you were talking earlier about the dog in the car and how it moved its head that's a yes. form of orientation they're like no i can't deal with this yeah with this. um so when you see the subtle things all my clients i work with we go on this journey of learning from that one dog that individual dog remember the emotional experience is unique for all of us so we we, we learn things and then uh the risk is with training, uh, let's use reinforcement training, because of course that's the thing, that we can end up getting the dog connected to loads of cues and loads of micromanagement, mm. and they still haven't gone around to being able to self-regulate. What I ideally want the dog to do, and sometimes it can be very difficult, I know, especially when there's trauma involved, but ideally we need that dog to think, right, there's a dog, sensor integration is telling me there's a dog, I've got enough doors open to process that dog. Now I can get my nervous system to back off because I'm going to do this, which is going to give me relief. Yeah. So self-regulation has to be the goal, not I, I need you to do something else for me. That's the thing. Now, um, uh, doing training, and, you know, I do training. Also, there's this kind of, you know, kind of some people think that I'm anti-training or anti-operant using a technical term there uh, which I'm clearly which you can't be of course and I do and the only thing is with me if I'm going to use positive reinforcement and I do I'd sooner reinforce behaviors that the dog has already shown me are innately valuable to them hmm. otherwise I'm just getting them to do stuff because I can yes yeah so this comes back to come back to happy dog yeah so happy dog really for me in its core isn't necessarily one with a big smile on his face and having a great time it's a dog who has the ability to communicate freely with us and that we can take that on board you know the only way a dog can tell us stuff is through their behavior we might not like it but that's all they can do right and there's a great saying which is the dogs are waiting i love that the dogs are waiting they're waiting for us to work it out yeah so it's just a way of thinking things a little bit differently and uh, being available. These are very, this is a very deep, profound thing now, uh, Julie, so we may as well throw it in, why not? Based on the emotion experience, we all have our own truth, right? Mm. Uh, and I believe the dogs have their truth because they know what it is to be Rover. Yeah. Um, and we may never know what that means, either as a species for a dog or that individual dog. But... I don't know, as I say, I can't, I can only be Andy. That's the only thing I can talk about with any real surety, right? But it doesn't stop us being available, truly available to the truth of another. Yeah. And I've got my cake analogy, uh, because we all love cake, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Always bring cake. Uh, Cake, (laughs) compassion, awareness, knowledge, uh, compassion, awareness, knowledge, and empathy. Yeah. So compassion is always a good place to start. So you might say something, you might hold a view 
your value system, your belief system may be very different to mine. Now, I can either bulk away from that and not be available to that, or I can try and be available by being compassionate to think I'm going to hear that through and I'm going to mm. think about your truth. A lot of the knee-jerk reactions to refugees, for example, is based upon being unavailable to the truth of another. Yeah. Because it's the brain, and, and I get it because the brain likes to work in stereotypes because mm. it doesn't like to have to cognitively reappraise. I remember a thing on Channel 4 over here in the UK a few years ago where they had a um, Syrian refugee and somebody from the English Defence League who are quite a right-wing anti-refugee thing. Yeah. And it was amazing. This guy, very stereotypically looking, actually, biggish guy, bald head, whatever, he was crying at the end of their chat because wow. she shared her loss of her son. She shared the loss of her mother. She shared the torment. He was now available to her truth. Yeah. So with our dogs, then, we just need to be more available to theirs. And being available truly means being aware of our own biases and our own judgments and expectations. The biggest problem always, I've just written a piece, actually, it's not out yet, but it's coming up. So it's a preview for you. Uh, it's called Excellent. Great Expectations because everything ultimately succeeds or fails when we work with others, including humans or animals, based on the expectations of the, the support person, the caregiver, the guardian, whoever. Um, because because of the power of the psychology of belief systems and cognitive biases, we, we need to educate more about this, I think, as a, as a profession. Mm. Uh, because, you know, when I go and see a client, some of our, my clients are their belief system is in alignment with mine. They get their dog. They're already walking their dog at one o'clock in the morning. They're already avoiding situations. Their expectations are already very realistic. Some, their belief system is 180 away from mine and 180 away from the needs of the dog. Mm -hmm. So I have to be aware of that. It's no point me turning up, pointing fingers and shaming people or even just giving them a big training plan. Um, I go through a three-step process. The first thing I do is listen to the client's emotional experience. So um, I've already got my history form, so I know all the nuts and bolts. So in that room, I'm like, right, tell me how it feels to take Rover out for a walk. How does it feel to you when you come home and the house has been destroyed? How does it feel when your, your uh, prize begonias have been dug up in the garden? How does it feel? Now, the reason for this yeah. is because on a very innate human level, we want to communicate emotional need. We're just not very good at it. And we don't have the opportunities too often. Uh, so they will start to tell me stuff. And that's great. So they're sharing their emotional experience. Second stage for me is then to talk about the emotional experience in a neutral way. So I'll talk about sensor integration, doors of the brain, the bucket analogy, analogies they can get their head around. Then they're starting to think, oh, right. So I, I, I can say to them now, right. So actually, when that happens, your bucket gets pretty full, right? Uh, you don't have many doors open when that happens, do you? Uh, and they've already shared with me that they might feel shame, guilt, embarrassment. Anger. Yeah. A guy said to me once, this is amazing, Julie, right? So he used to get the end of his lead, the, the yeah. handle of it, and he used to whack the dog on the bum. Yeah. Uh, so, and he shared that with me. And I, I always listen to things without judgment because I, I get yeah. it. He said to me, Andy, I didn't do that to punish my dog. I did it because I was angry. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah, wow, what an amazingly honest and candid way. Because now he's thinking, yeah, do you know what? I did that because I was really angry and upset and embarrassed and everything else. And do you know what? He loves his dog. There yeah. are some people who are deliberately cruel and abusive, but they are they are the very much the minority. Most people love their dog. They love their yeah. child. They love their partner. But their own emotional experience, their own nervous system takes over in the moment. So that's the second bit to where that then. So I might have been there 40 minutes now. Just mm. going through this. Now we can look at Rover because now I can connect them through the emotional experience. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter when I walked in that door, if they thought their dog was dominant, if they thought their dog had to know its place, they thought that their dog was being bad and there had to be a consequence. I don't have to challenge any of that anymore because now I can say, right. So when Rover's doing that thing with the dogs, then what do you think his bucket's like? Do you think he's got many doors open? When we do that, what are we doing? So if we're whacking the dog on the bum with the lead, what are we doing? And that's when the guy said to me, I get it now because I was because I was angry. Yeah. So this is important, Julie, about, oh, yeah. about things a little bit differently. And then once I've got, and this sounds amazing, I know, and it is, but that doesn't mean every client I work. There are some whose belief system is so entrenched yeah. and their expectation is so specific that they can't shift that dial enough. Um, some of them come back to me a couple of years later when they've gone down to the roots because there's a whole market out there that offers quick fixes. Yes. The thing about a true training scenario is, like you said at the beginning, it has a very definite do this, this happens. You know, how yeah. can we do that quicker? How can we do that better? So it can be a big leap for some people, but the vast majority of my clients do get it. And now I can start using different types of language. So I'm already calling them a caregiver instead of an owner. I'm already using the word sensitive instead of reactive. I'm already giving them a support plan rather than a training plan. I'm using words like relief. How do we get this dog relief? How do we get you relief? So when we start thinking about relief and I say to them, actually, how about you didn't, you don't take your dog out for a bit? How about you don't walk in those areas? Now they're like, oh, wow, I don't have to. I can get relief because I, I don't, I get stressed. So they're more likely to buy into management plans as well now. Yeah. It makes sense to them. The emotional experience for me, Julie, is why I'm so passionate about talking about it, is, is, the, is in my opinion, uh, for what it's worth, the way to go. Yeah. Because going in with training solutions, the reality is this, because of what we've discussed about belief systems. If I go in and I say, okay, Rover's doing that right. You don't want to do that great. We're going to get Rover to do this instead. We don't do the horrible stuff anymore. We use treats. We don't use those tools anymore. We do it nicely. and blah, blah, blah. There is a good chance that the person has probably heard in their subconscious behavior bad need to change it. Yes. That's, that's, that's all they're doing. So if that expectation isn't met regarding how quickly that behavior has changed, there's a chance they might go to that aversive train down the road and still get behavior bad changes. Whereas if yeah. we start getting them to buy into the emotional experience, emotional need of their dog, all that other stuff becomes defunct now because it's about how do we best care for another? And we have to have, you know, I've had these discussions with humans. You know, if you've got a child who's sensitive, you might think, oh, I'm going to get my kid to play football and they're going to go to go to do judo and they're going to play on the beach with their friends. But then you've got a child who isn't that. Yeah. Where do we go with that? And that, this is the word alignment. We have to find alignment between parental expectation and the child's ability to do. Yeah. Um, the same with our partners. You know, um, I'm not a great flyer. I don't uh, 
like flying very much so I can just about get to Spain. Um, mm-hmm. My husband's a big Dolly Parton fan and he wants to go to Dollywood, which is a good, because you've got to fly to America and then you've got to fly again to get to Tennessee. So you're yeah. looking at about 16 hours worth of flight. So we've been married eight years now and he's still waiting. And, um, you know, I use that, that example sometimes when somebody says, oh, yeah, but I want to my dog. My dog i want my dog to come to the cafe and sit outside and, and so i can have a, a coffee and watch the world go by and i have to between them between us invite them to see that their dog isn't there yes now doesn't mean it's not that I, at some point i will go on that plane and we will get to donald yeah which, just not now yes so these things are important and this comes back to happiness again again the thing this notion of happiness is this notion for the happy dog is a dog who can say not now either not now today and this is the arbitrary nature, you know, when I meet a client for a coaching walk, we've already got it in 10 o'clock tomorrow because we I can't have a completely fluid diary. So we have to yeah. So I'm very aware of I have to check in what Rover's going to turn up today. What mood yeah. is Rover in? What can Rover deal with today? Not this is our task today. We've got to do this task, you know? Yeah. It's a lovely way of thinking. I really like it because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking so many little things can affect you. So, for example, you know, I, I can be quite academic but if there's a wasp in the room I won't be able to focus I won't be able to do it. and that's for somebody else that can be what on earth is your problem well no I can't focus because I can't take my eyes off the wasp because you know and I know it's irrational to an extent it will get me you know or if I'm just having a, a sad day or you know if I'm really hungry or whatever it is there are so many things that can affect the way I'll perform you know, and 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 our dogs are the same. They're individuals, and as you say, they have. That's that, that's a hard thing to to take on board that they have moods and good days and bad days, just like us. You know, and it's it's even it's windy. He can't concentrate. You know, and there's there's so much. And I think it's if we can get to the point where we're a team with them, you know, and we're 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 trying the same thing. That's really hard as well because emo- you know talking about emotions. When particularly, I think when they're puppies and they pee and poo and chew and bite you and you know, and you think I, I get to point where I go, why are you doing this to me? I love you. Why do you hate me? And that's really, really hard. And I know, I know, intellectually, I know it's wrong, but emotionally, I still get that feeling, and that's really hard to deal with, isn't it? It is, and this is the thing about the the the, the problem here is humans, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. dogs, it's not cats, it's not it's humans, right? Uh, but we shouldn't be ourselves up about it because we didn't invent ourselves, so um, we are where we are. And understanding yeah. the psychology of this stuff. Remember, the brain wants to do quick thinking; it just wants to react to stuff. Yeah. So this is why we all do it. We all do it. I do it. I know about this stuff, but I still do it. So my husband might do something, and I might say, "Oh, don't be silly." Yeah, which is really unhelpful because I have made a quick judgment on his behaviour and I've decided it's silly. Yeah. Whereas in fact, you know, when he's like, um, "Oh no, I need, to, I need, to, I, I need to go back and check the front door," and I'm like, "Don't be silly." But actually, for him, there's a real need to go back and check the door. Yeah. So yeah. the the underlining side of this is that actually, you know, I've taken a long time, years, literally, to be more available to things that go on around me, but it's hard yeah hard work um the thing about us humans we love to judge yeah we hate to be judged (laughs) you could judge me now and my behavior and I would think well how dare you you don't know what I'm going through you don't know what I'm experiencing so 
being available is hard work because the brain doesn't want to be it wants to think hang on that based on my stereotype my worldview that's what's happening so we have to be more available and i think uh you know i don't want to get all kind of zen and buddhist about it but but i think um it kind of is that right it is a case of thinking right i'm really peeved at the moment my my, i've got a rescue puppy at the moment foster puppy yeah uh, and I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm very tired, and oh my god, she's tinkled in the house again, or oh, that's another set of shoes that I'm going to have to buy, or whatever it is. And I have to exercise that moment, thinking, okay, what is actually happening here? I need to take yeah. a breath because if we if we move forwards with our own behaviour based on our instant nervous system response, we are now unavailable to what's really happening. Yeah, but we do do that sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah. Husband and I might fall out, and I might have one of my diva strops. And uh, <laughs> I, can't and I can't believe that. I can't believe it. It's really hard to believe. And that is because sometimes the bucket gets too full. Yeah, that's yeah. the point. So let's yeah. not beat ourselves up about it. But let's. The most important word. This is the most important word for all this stuff. In, in, again, my view is the word awareness. So when people are being horrible to a dog, when they're pinning a dog down, when they're driving like an idiot, when they're, you know, whatever, saying stuff about a Syrian refugee or whatever, the reality is it isn't that they're a bad person necessarily. It's they're not aware. They're just not aware of what they're doing. They're not aware of what's happening. They're just being driven by that quick brain and their nervous system. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, that's really important because I do think that the, some, the first time you encounter some concept, it's like, I don't think so. Don't believe that. No. And then, you know, the first time, for example, I heard about crates, I was like, I'm not putting my dog in a cage. Are you mad? You know, and so and then thought about them, learned about them, tried it with the dog and the dog actually liked it. One of ours hasn't, but the, the, all the others have, have really taken to crates um, and it's a nice place. And, and so, you know, I've taken that on and. and you know we all find our own way I think that's another thing that what's I always think the the rod you make for your own back is the rod you can bear and what I mean by that is my Labrador was the perfect dog for me and he was very in my face he was you know he wanted a lot of attention he wanted to to be with me he wanted to come with me to places and I I jolly well knew I'd got that dog you know he wasn't um he wasn't easy in some ways but he was perfect for me but then you might have found him too difficult too in your face too demanding too you know or whatever um and I think that's we build a relationship and we you know we, we find what's right for us and that dog we find ways to live together I think that's really I, I love your approach I think it's really really brilliant um, and this is also for us as human beings this is the thing you know when I've given talks and things uh, especially to my colleagues in rescue because they get all this stuff anyway. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. Um, they also relate it to themselves and they recognise their own bucket, their own emotional experience. Yeah. But also, our, you know, it's very easy to be in a relationship where a bit of control and a bit of coercion creeps in. Uh, some of that mm. is quite um, passive and that, you know, mm. can that, of course. Uh, but it can easily flip a little bit. And sometimes, even for ourselves, we have to be more available but that also starts with being available to ourselves. Mm. Learning our own truth is important and challenging that sometimes. I've, I've been speaking yeah. to, I'm going to be running a little series soon on uh, inclusivity and diversity through my Facebook group. Uh, mm. So I've got trainers around the world, um, uh, trans trainer, um, trainer with um, the, you know, different types of backgrounds and, and mm. uh, you know, people, uh, trainers from the biopic community. And I think it's just great to hear 
the stories of others. Yeah. Because that helps us to think, what do I make from that? What does that mean for my truth? My education on this stuff about dogs, I'm not some kind of guru. Uh, I I just see myself as saying, well, this is think about it this is a good thing mm-hmm. about a philosophical approach it's not a case of saying julie you must now do this it's a case of have you considered this what does yes. it mean for you mm-hmm. um what does it mean for you in your relationship with your dog and your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others yeah yeah i think that's the thing start from where you are you know because it, it's a journey and, and we never you know i don't think you ever get to the point where you think right i'm the finished article now i'm perfect I know everything. I can do everything. You know, I can bond with my dog. I, you know, I've got it all down to a fine art. We never get there. We're always a work in progress. And, and isn't that part of the joy of living, really? Yeah. And I would argue that perfection is now. Mm. Because if we allow ourselves to be the best we can be of ourselves now, and that's the thing, I think. And it is, uh, you know, because of the X factor and that, we get used the word journey all the time. But, it's, <laughs> but it is a kind of journey. It's, it's an organic, uh, uh, you know, um, I know I'm spending my whole life learning who I am yeah, yeah, and what I connect to. And and Andy of 12 months ago, he's gone now. He's not there anymore. And yeah. uh, I met a friend a little while ago who I know from about 20 years ago because I'm, uh, I'm older than I look. Really. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so 20 years ago. And uh, uh, I was talking to her and I thought, well, you don't even know me. Yeah. I don't know yeah. you. Yes. I know you then, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's just interesting, isn't it? I think it's yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. We could talk all day and it's been absolutely fascinating. And thank you so much for this. It's been really interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to say that we, we haven't had time to say yet? <laughs> it's going to be uh, no, difficult to choose one thing, isn't it? Yeah, we could. I think the most important thing is to time and space. Those are two really important words that underpin all this, giving ourselves the time and the space, both physical space, but mental space just to be allow ourselves to be available to the world around us and our dogs because we live in such a everything's going to happen yesterday swipe left for this swipe right for that Mm -hmm. um we don't get enough time just to be and definitely all the stuff i do with dogs professionally and personally is not about quicker it's about slowing stuff down it's about just being in the moment and just you know exploring the wonder of our relationship with our animals i think it's There's a lot to explore there. When we have a very fixed view of our relationship to our dog, based upon dominance, based upon obedience, based upon whatever external criteria is, I genuinely believe we're taking a little bit out from that wonder yeah. that we yes. could have if we just allowed ourselves to be, you know? So that's that's the only thing I would add in, I think. Yeah, yeah. Smashing, thank you very much. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, so I've got a Facebook group, um, mm-hmm. which uh, is called Dog Centred Care. And surprisingly, that's my kind of thing. Um, and uh, also Dog Centred Care on YouTube. So I've, I've, I've had some amazing guests come in. We do loads of Facebook lives. It's all free with lots of different people talking about trauma and um, the relationship of indigenous people to their dogs, all sorts of stuff. It's just fascinating. Mm. Um, uh, so they're there in the YouTube channel. They're also in the in the group. All my articles are in the group, plus loads of amazing people who are doing other stuff, all shared in the group. So it's a great location. Um, I'm going to be starting some courses soon, um, one for carers. Uh, the first one, though, will be for professionals. So if you're a groomer, a vet, vet nurse, dog trainer, dog walker, anybody involved, 
professionally uh, with dogs, they can come and do the professional course, which is a, a short course in person, virtually in person, um, where we unpack this together. So yeah. we look at what is the emotional experience? What is the psychology behind the belief systems and that kind of thing? I've got a psychotherapist colleague of mine who's coming in as well so that we can have this safe space to really unpack this because it's new. This yeah. kind of stuff is a new thing for many. It's not new, brand new, of course. Nothing's new, but um, it's new for many. And uh, a lot of professionals are like, I kind of get that, but it's a bit scary because I've got my operant toolkit and I've been used to doing that. But how do I do I've also shared some things with you today about some of the ways I work. But it's a very much an inclusive course. I'll be doing some of the academic presentation stuff about the principles but then what do we make of it as a group that's going to yeah. be us so all that will be advertised through the dog center care group sounds fascinating thank you very much i hope that's really made given people a lot of a lot of food for thought and and helped people think about making as we've said letting the dog be happy how do we give our dogs as you said the time and space to be happy yeah, I feel like I need to start singing happiness now. <laughs> End of. We should. Yes. If you put that in at the end now, I think you should cut that in because it's a great song, all right? And it gets you happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll put that in. <laughs> happiness, happiness, the greatest gift that I possess. That's the song Andy referred to, but that's all you're going to get because let's face it, any more will not make you happy. I suggest you play your own favourite song about being happy, because that'll be more to your taste and, frankly, cheaper for us. We have the links to Dog Centred Care, which Andy mentioned at dogcastradio.com, and Andy's website, www.dogcc.org. I love anything which encourages us to think about our dogs as sentient beings with emotions and opinions, so I really like Andy's approach, and it was fascinating to talk with him. National Happy Dog Day is the 9th of September, and if you'd like to join in the celebration and post a photo of your dog doing something that makes them happy with the hashtag Happy Dog Day, that would be great. And tag us in, hashtag DogCastRadio, that would make me very happy too. What makes your dog happy? Going for a walk? Being in the car? Playing with a toy? Time to have a good old sniff? Running around an agility pitch? Interaction with other dogs? Food? I'll be thinking this over for a while. So till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you call someone who doesn't like cute little dogs? Repugnant.